No, he kept changing his name. Wait, for real? Yes. Was he on the run? Hello, everybody. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about publishing, marriage, writing, and parenthood. I'm Barry Liga. With me is Morgan Baden. Hello, Morgan. Hi, guys, and happy Halloween, everyone. This is a special Halloween edition. Ooh, <laughs> it is indeed Halloween as we record this. This is actually one of my favorite days of the year. I actually didn't know that. Not because it's Halloween, oh. but because Daylight Savings Time ends uh. tonight. It coincidentally ends with Halloween this year. And usually that means we get an extra hour of sleep. Mm-hmm. This year, we will probably get one fewer hour yeah. of sleep yeah. because Leia, because basically because babies are stupid and Leia does not understand spring forward, fall back. And so she is not going to take advantage of that extra hour, most likely. And she will get up at like three in the morning or something like that. And well, it's really funny up. because daylight saving is really coinciding with, uh, she's, she's in the middle of a, a sleep issue. She, she, she's figuring something out. You know, yeah. the doctor had told us, and we knew this, that sometimes when things are going on cognitively, the, the sleep can be disrupted. And so for the past week, She's been, her sleep has been a little off. And she's been up up much earlier than she typically is. So I think it's just going to be compounded tomorrow Now it's going to be even earlier. We tried keeping her up late tonight. Couldn't do it. But this girl, I mean, she protests when she is not in her crib by 7.15 p.m. She's learning some bad habits from somebody. I'm going to blame the people at the gym who watch her when I work (laughs) out. Uh, she is learning some bad habits and she... Well, it can't be us. It can't be us because we have nothing but good habits. So it's either the grandmothers? Oh, we could blame the grandmothers. Awesome. All right, (laughs) let's blame the grandmothers. Let's say she's learning some bad habits from the grandmother. She will throw little temper tantrums and things like that. I love these temper tantrums. They are very adorable, but she will do that. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, she's been, she's been doing that and she, when she wants to sleep, when she wants to sleep uh-huh. and or so, not wants to sleep or not wants to sleep. And so we have not, we were not able to keep her up late tonight in hopes that she would sleep in tomorrow. So I suspect it will be a very early morning. Uh, so this is no longer um, my favorite you day mean for me. Well, yeah, for you. <laughs> it'll, it'll wake me up too. The difference is I'll go back to sleep. <laughs> The doctor did tell us that in situations like this, we could sort of do the reverse of sleep training. Sleep training is when you let the baby cry until she falls asleep. Uh, this would be when she wakes up, let her cry for a while when she wakes up and she'll come to learn. No, there's, you know, I don't, I, I'm not supposed to get up until X time. Right. You're not willing to do that. So, I mean, you know, I'm willing to let her whine a little bit yeah. in there, but no, I'm not going to let her drive yeah. from 5 to 6 a.m. That just feels a little yeah. ridiculous. And also, you know, I, I, we actually should talk about sleep training again at some point because we, we did it successfully with, with Leia. Right. Um, but we had to do it a lot. Yeah. And there was one point, I can't remember where, maybe around eight or nine months, where, might have been earlier, where we had a, a bad night and basically, a bad few nights, and we basically had to do it again. Do it again. And yeah. I decided, I was like, next kid, we're not doing this. Like, I, do, I just don't have, I can't handle it anymore. So anyway, that'll be interesting. Every kid is, every kid is different. You have no idea how another course, baby would react yeah. to this. But anyway, so yes. So what was once my favorite time of year is no longer. But we were walking around today 
for Halloween, which is very fun in Brooklyn. Everybody so walking around. And uh, Leo was in her costume, and I was in my costume. I was not in a costume. You were not in a costume. You were just sticking out like a sore thumb, and everybody was wearing costumes. And you <laughs> you said several times, man, I really I missed I the boat. Bad. Yeah. I felt bad. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a blast. And you said something very interesting. You said, wow, Halloween is totally different now. <laughs> And obviously, based on when she was born, you know, she was here for Halloween last year. Right. She was about, what, but eight she was days a, old? About eight days old, so I'm not sure it counts. And she was around for Thanksgiving and for Christmas last year, but again, again it, yeah. you know, she was not aware that anything was happening. So it made me think, it's not just that Halloween is different, but holidays in general are oh, different yeah. now. And we're heading into the holiday season. It's going to be really, really different now because... At the very least, she's going to appreciate that she's surrounded by people. Right. You know, that she's around family. Well, and she's going to like the lights and the decorations in a way that she didn't last year. Right. Because her eyes weren't really open most of the time last year. (laughs) So how does it change the holidays for you? So for me, this is so obvious that people are going to be rolling their eyes when they hear this, but it just makes them more fun. And they're not about me. You know, I love Halloween. I love Christmas, despite not being a Christian. Like, I love um, the music and the lights and the decorations and the family and the parties and the everything, the cold weather. I love, I love this time of year through sort of mid-January is yeah. like peak Morgan time. And, uh, and it's great, but, you know, I, I think it's, no, to me, it's no secret. It's pretty obvious that sometime in your adulthood, holly, holidays start being less fun than they were When you were younger, of course, because they're different. And it just feels like this really neat circle where now we're back to the beginning where it's going to be so fun because we get to witness the magic of the holidays through her eyes, which is going to be really special. And I feel like, yeah, when, when, as you become an adult, you start treating the holidays as something a little less special. Yeah. And... You know, in particular, like I, for example, don't make a big deal about my birthday. Right. Like if nobody did anything for my birthday, I wouldn't care. You know, you had to browbeat me into doing something for my 40th birthday. I did. Celebrating for my 40th birthday. And you said to me at one point, you know, in the last year, well, what are you going to do when someday our daughter wants to celebrate your birthday. And it made me realize, oh, wow, like, yeah, I, I have to think of these things differently now. And instead of thinking of the holidays as sort of an obligation or just an opportunity to chill out a little bit, yeah, it's a really great opportunity to sort of introduce traditions to right. your child, to come up with new traditions. And I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, she still doesn't understand presents. She <laughs> doesn't understand opening presents, but she understands I like, (laughs) she understands that she, there are things to play with. Uh So that, that will be cool. That will be fun. Uh, you said the other day that our apartment looks like Christmas already because after her birthday, birthday, we had so many toys just scattered everywhere. Well, and they were sort of actually in the, um, there's one main area where we try to keep toys because there's a big basket there, but they were overflowing from the basket and lined up all around the basket as though the basket were a tree and the toys were just, you know, wrapped underneath. So I have to say, I'm sort of. I'm sort of dreading Christmas in that respect because there will be more toys. And I don't know where we're going to put them, man. They're taking over. You, make, I feel like you make such a big deal about items in our apartment. It's really not that bad. There's space for things is what I'm saying. Listeners, Basically, I'm looking around want, right now. <laughs> I don't want our families to listen to this and be like, oh, I guess we just won't get them anything. 
That's where I'm coming from right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just all right. I'm just Family, if you're listening to this, we want all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Give us everything. Give us everything. Okay. So anyway, Halloween, lots of fun. Daylight savings, much less fun now. We'll, so, well, we'll, we'll see. see. We we'll don't see. know. Again, hey. you're being a, a bit of a pessimist here. We don't know um, yet. I, I just, I like to think that I'm just preparing myself for the worst case scenario so that if it happens, I'm not disappointed. All right. The worst case scenario is what? We get up an hour earlier. It's really not a crisis. Right. No, that's a crisis, man. That's a, a long time <laughs> listeners. know. the man who doesn't have to get up. <laughs> long time listeners. know I love me some sleep. <laughs> Are we ta- Does anyone see how weird this is that you're worried and complaining about sleep? I'm. When you're not the one who gets up with her in the morning. I'm concerned for you, darling. Oh, you're so full of it. I'm concerned for you. I think what you're really concerned about is the fact that I'll be gone next weekend. And you're worried that the remnants of this are going to bleed into next weekend when you do have to get up. Oh, I know they're going (laughs) to. I know they're going to. All right. So let's move on. Let's talk about some writing stuff. So you had something happen this week with your writing. I had, a, I had quite a few things happen. You had quite like. a few things happen, actually. You had some personal connections yeah. with a couple of agent-type people. And you have... Or, or just agents. Sure. <laughs> and you are giving them your manuscript to read. And that's yes. that's lovely. Yeah. But something else happened. Yeah. I actually got my first rejection on a full. Yeah. So... But it was a good rejection. And that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. Good rejections. Because we've mentioned this in the past, the idea of the good rejection. But I don't think we actually talked all that much about it. Mm -hmm. And it can be a difficult thing, I think, for people to understand. I think people want to understand it and they want to think of good rejections because, let's face it, we all face rejection and we would love to find good ones. And unfortunately, there aren't necessarily mileposts that you can show somebody to indicate this is a good rejection. It really mm-hmm. does depend on the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember a long time ago, you know, when I was sending stuff out and just getting form letters back and then that first time you get a personal response Yeah, and somebody says, but I'd love to see more of your work. And you're like, oh, that's a that's good, progress. that's progress. That's a good rejection. That's a milestone. A, a friend of mine used to say, I'm getting rejected by a better class of person, <laughs> you know, as a way of explaining these, these good rejections, or I'm getting further along in the process before I get rejected. And I remember my father, who is an engineer and, the, and therefore extraordinarily pragmatic saying to me one time when I said, oh, I got a good rejection saying, what are you talking about? They said, no, that's just a rejection. There's no such thing as a good rejection, but there are Ouch. good. Yeah. Well. There are good rejections uh, in this business in particular. And that is when, for example, somebody says, oh, I want to see more or. Or this was good. This was good, but. We're only looking for X or Or this is good, but I've got something similar. So let me see more of your stuff. So do you want to talk at all about your good rejection? Well, it was brief, so there's not too much to say. But uh, a couple of things jumped out at me from this conversation so far. And one is. Uh, the idea that you're getting rejected by a better class of person. Right. This was is a superstar agent. This is a... We're not going to give a name. No, but, but I was really... Yeah. I was thrilled and honored that this person even wanted a full anyway. Right. So, um, so that was good. That was good. Yeah. The second thing is, I was just thrilled to see some movement. Yeah. Because I've had fulls out for almost, almost six weeks now, I think. I was going to say one. five or six weeks, mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, you start to feel like, hello, is anybody out there? You know, like you're sending things out and agents respond when they want your full and you send the full and then it is just nothing. And I'm sure all the agents listening to this are 
banging their heads against the desk because it takes them a long time to read a full manuscript. And they're like, don't you understand? It takes a long time, blah, blah, blah. We understand that. Like, but yeah. that doesn't mean that you're not sitting there going, when am I going to hear something? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's natural. Even, it's part of the process. Yeah, and like, again, I, I get it. Like, yes, it takes a long time. I understand that they're reading multiple works, but also that their current client list comes first. And sure. there's lots of work to do with current clients. Um, but because it, it's kind of like a job application system. Like, I almost wish there was a system where you could log in and, and see the status of your phone. You know, I think some agents have something like that. Well, I actually really appreciate agents who tweet out or post on their blogs their querying status, oh. which I think is really smart and a really great thing to do. A yeah. lot of, I've, I definitely know of agents who will say, um, Hey writers, I'm caught up to queries from September 29th. Right. And at least then you know, okay, well I queried on September 30th, so I don't have to worry yet. Right. Um and and they'll say too, if you haven't heard from me and you queried before then, check your spam and email me if I if you still don't see anything because it means either I missed it or whatever. Right. Uh so that's helpful, but but it's just um I, I don't know, it's really hard and uh, like have the agents who have the full even started reading it yet. Or is it something that I should just put out of my mind completely because it's going to be in the new year that they think about it? You know, yeah. it's just hard to get a, a grasp on that. And right. it makes it difficult, too, to, to figure out how whether you should continue querying widely. Or, you know, it's just a... Well, but I think I'm looking at how you've been handling it and you've been sort of regularly but not obsessively querying yeah. since oh, you yeah, first yeah, started yeah. sending it out. You're not sitting down every day and no. coming up with a list of 10 people and shooting it out. Right, right. But every week, once a week, you go, oh, yeah, oh, this person, let me try people. one or yeah. two people. Mm-hmm. So you're, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but it seems to me that that gives you a sense of forward momentum, at least, a it sense does. of accomplishment, yeah. a sense that you're doing something. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, you're not driving yourself crazy by trying to track down every agent in the universe right. who could potentially be interested in this yeah. and send it to them in a certain period of time. Yeah. You know, the other thing, the interesting second component of my current querying process is that uh, it's not just full people who have the full who are, who I'm waiting to hear from, but there are people I've queried who I have not heard from. Right. And in fact, I've only gotten one rejection from a query. And all the rest have either been full requests or um, nothing yet. Yeah. So that's even, in a way, that's almost worse because <laughs> at least with the people who have the full, I know that A, they're somewhat interested and B, they're going to get to it eventually. Right. Either when I prompt them or when they have time. Well, and you probably know that it's going to take a while Absolutely. because it's a full like, manual. You know, I mean, un- unless yeah. they read the first page and hate it, which nobody's going to read the first page of this book and hate it. So. You know, you're. It's going to be a while, right? Absolutely. So yeah. that that um, expectation is already set, and it's fine. But it is so interesting to me when you query agents who, I mean, let's be honest, it's it's just a couple of paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been you know five or six weeks now, and you haven't heard anything, and it's like, just send me the form then, right. saying that you're not do- right. taking it. That's fine. Um, and again, right now, agents are banging. Their heads I know, on their desk. but it's also part of me is also like that. That is your job. And sure, you can sign up sure. for that. And part of the job is responding to queries. Yep. So, um, yeah. yeah it, it, it's fascinating. You know, we both have friends who are agents yeah. in addition to professional relationships. They're not my friends. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> there could be no friendship with agents. No, and I and you've mentioned this before, but um, to actually see inside of an agent's inbox 
Yeah, which I've done. And the insanity that they receive. Yeah. I know it must be a totally bonkers job most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for them. Again, having seen with my own two little eyes what What that inbox looks like and how crazy it is. But knowing that, it also makes me think, shouldn't they then respond more quickly to the same queries that they get? Well, you know, the problem is sometimes the volume is so huge that, yeah. and you know, sometimes it's just a question of, okay, I got 300 requests and I have to go through each one. And even, even if you can size up in the first sentence that this is a crazy one, uh, you know, that still takes you a few seconds Mm -hmm. and you add that up and it's, you know, an hour later and your brain is bleeding and you just can't go any further. And I think that's a part of it is just, it, it, it's not even about time. Well, that's because it's not just data entry. It's right. not like it's you know, not just about math the time that it takes. It's about I, I hate to say it. It's about what it does to your soul. <laughs> like, think about <laughs> no, it. Like, I, if, I know. If, if you're an agent, you're an agent because you love authors and you love writing and you love books, right? And if you spend any significant percentage of time seeing just awful, ridiculous, yeah. insane, you know, terrible stuff like that. I mean, there's only so much of it you can look at before yeah. you just have to go play Gears of War, you know, or right. or Netflix something or or just go stand outside and scream for 3 hours straight. Do you think that this whole system needs a rehaul? God, yes. It's it's such a weird Everything, crazy system. You know, the the system, the agenting system and people feel free, publishing friends, to chime in and tell me how I'm wrong about the details of this. But the, in the broad strokes, I'm right. The agenting system was never designed to handle the the bulk of the work that it currently handles. Yeah. You know, originally, back in the day, even when I was younger and first submitting stuff, you know, as, as a teenager, publishers accepted unsolicited manuscripts. Yeah. I sent... My novel in high school to publishers, there was no rule against it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could get published that way. It did happen. Over the years, publishers, one by one, stopped taking unsolicited manuscripts, especially as they merged. You know, it used to be publishers were smaller Mm -hmm. and they had more of a personal touch to it. Although I want to, I want to interject and just say, you know, a lot of publishers say that they don't take unsolicited manuscripts, but individual editors sometimes do despite the blanket company policy. I know for a fact that really at Scholastic, our policy is no unsolicited manuscripts, but there are editors who get slush and who read through it. Well, that's sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so that, right. I, I should say that opportunity is still there. It's not that they accept unsolicited manuscripts; it's that they are willing to they're willing yeah. to investigate them exactly. Um, but anyway, at some point, the publishers stopped accepting unsolicited manuscripts, and agents became the main vehicle by which publishers saw manuscripts and authors got them to publishers. This Around this time, agents went from taking 10% to 15% mm-hmm. <laughs> because suddenly they yeah, were in the catbird seat, yeah. but they were also doing a lot more work yeah. because, you know, publishers basically offloaded this job of going through the slush to, yeah. to agencies. They outsourced it for all intents and purposes. So yeah, it was never really designed mm-hmm. To handle this, and especially a lot of agents are sort of boutiques. They're one-man shops or two-man shops. You have maybe an agent and a a sub-agent or an agent and an assistant. And people out there who want to be writers don't know that. Yeah. They're firing off their their stuff to them and, you know, getting – sending off 
all these things and you know agents are getting 500 queries in a week or whatever and it's one person going yeah. through it and and, and I also it's difficult think, like the rise this idea of the rise of the superstar author sure like joe and stephanie and you know steven sort of traditionally but over yeah. the past 15 years it, there's been a lot more superstar authors and i think so it, and it sort of was compounded by the internet and I think people, I think there are more people now who think, I'm just going to write a book and become a superstar. Right. And so, like, just a sheer mathematical equation by numbers, the volume of people querying has increased. Right. Um, and agents have to do more work with those. And so that means that the number of crazy queries has also increased and. I get it. I mean, it's it's just, it's such a strange system. Well, not only that, I mean, it's not just the rise of the superstar author that is sort of attracting people. It's also that it's become easier to write. Yeah. Because, I mean, when I was starting out, you know, word processors were very new and crappy. And most people didn't even have that. Most people had a typewriter. Right. If you wanted to be a writer, you were typewriting yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, and typewriting and, and sending, printing, printing, sending, sending making photocopies, address stamps, exactly. envelopes, like, all of that. It actually cost more. There were that. there were barriers to entry. There were there were hurdles in your path. Mm-hmm. There are fewer of them now. Well, and you had to Plus, go buy what the writer's market, so you could right. find the addresses. There was yep. a lot to do. Yeah. In addition to that, I think. As time has gone on, there are more and more books published every year. Right. So there are more and more people writing books, and there are more people who feel like they can make a living at it. Yeah. Or at least part of a living at it. So just the numbers have just blown up incredibly in the past few decades. And as a result, I think agents are tremendously overworked. I think most people in publishing are overworked. Yeah. But I think agents in particular are sort of the middleman getting – a lot of stuff from their current clients, their potential clients and from publishers. And they're caught in the, in this crossfire Mm -hmm. and it makes it really difficult for them to to do their jobs. And it's one of those things where, you know, again, if you're a one man show as an agency, you can't farm out any of your work. Mm -hmm. You can't say, Oh, let me get a college intern to come in and help out because you can't teach a college intern your opinion, your sensibilities, yeah. your experience, even just to go through the slush, yeah, you know, just, just to go through your email inbox and say, this is crazy. This isn't, yeah. you can't teach somebody to figure, I mean, obviously if there's typos riddled throughout and the person is like, this book will blow the lid off the fact that Hillary Clinton is an alien, you know, <laughs> okay, obviously you want to take on that client, but you can't teach somebody that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's one person doing it. And again, there, there's a breaking point. There's a point at which you've spent an hour that day going through the worst dross that humanity has to offer and you just can't take it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. So all of that is to, to explain, you know, why certain rejections can be good. Right. You know, in a system like that, anything that gives you encouragement or helps move you forward a step. Yeah. Is good, whether it's a yes or a no. Even a no can be good in that situation. I agree. Well said. Thank you. So I want to talk also, since we're talking about money and complications and and how publishing has expanded and grown, I want to talk about something that I've been thinking about for a while and then I read something online that sort of crystallized it for me and, and made me want to talk about it. So you work at a publisher. Yes. A large publisher, not a small boutique publisher. This is a Correct. big publisher, right? In fact, uh, your publisher takes up the entirety, pretty much, of an 11-story building in Manhattan. 
plus plus some. some. Yeah. Right. So here's the thing. That's not cheap, right? I would imagine not. That ain't cheap. Real estate in New York is not cheap. Why is publishing in New York? That's a heavy question. It's so <laughs> expensive. And well, but you could ask that about literally any business, right? But I don't care about any other well, business. Of course, I care about, yeah. I, I care about publishing. I care about publishing. I was reading a piece by a guy whose name is actually going to be difficult for me to give because he's used like six different names over his career. He started out as a guy named Jim Owsley. He was an editor in comics. He became a writer in comics. Then he became Christopher Priest. Then he just became Priest. Then he became Chris Priest. It's very Wait, difficult. Are these all pen names? No, he kept changing his name. Wait, for real? Yes. Was he on the run? No, it was a weird... I heard a couple of reasons why he did it, and I, and I don't even know anymore. I think he's changed his story as to why he's done it. He's a great writer and apparently a great editor from everything I, I know. Uh, but perhaps as, as a human being might be, you know, might, might have some identity issues or something. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, he's a really smart guy. And he was in publishing for a very long time. And he recently wrote a book about his experiences in publishing. And one of the things he talked about is why is publishing in New York? Mm-hmm. His thesis, and I've been thinking about this for a while, is that it puts financial pressure on publishing houses Ah. that is not necessary. In short, there's no reason for a publishing house to be located in New York other than the prestige of saying we are located in New York. You could put the exact same people in an office across the river in New Jersey and save huge amounts of money, plus a lot of commuting time, because let's face it, most of those publishing people are living in New Jersey already, or they're living in a little tiny apartment in New York and they're stressed out because they can't afford that, you could move everybody across the river to New Jersey and you could get the exact same work done and it would not impact anything at all. And it would help the bottom line of the publishing house and make it so that that book that you all loved, but it didn't quite earn out, it didn't quite sell well enough, that book now is fine because your bottom line is better because you're not spending however many millions of dollars it costs per year for you to rent space in New York. So I think what do you think a, about I this? I think that's a valid argument if the premise was slightly tweaked, okay. which is currently it's crazy for publishers or for anyone to be located in New York. Right. But it's not like, you know, over the past five years, the big six have decided to move to New York and now they're here and they're facing financial pressure. Right. They've all been, they all, they all started in New York. Right. Right. I I, I think, I don't know my publishing history as as well as most of them them did 45 times. (laughs) Anyway, but so the problems of New York right now in terms of financial pressures and commute times and unhappy people and bottom lines, I don't think they existed as extremely as they do now 50 years ago. Okay. But it's now. It's not 50 years ago. Well, so shouldn't, so what shouldn't I'm the industry is, change with the time? So you're, well, I don't know. I mean, I know that there are publishers who own the buildings that they work in. So actually, maybe it wouldn't make a ton of financial sense to leave right now. Right. Um I know that publishers and companies who move into the new World Trade Center are getting huge tax breaks. Yeah. So probably doesn't make financial sense to leave New York. Uh, I also know, I have anecdotally, um, I know several people who whose companies who were located in New York and not publishers uh, moved to Jersey City 
And they lost a whole bunch of good employees who did not want to work in Jersey City. Wow. Really? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Um, And, I mean, also, it's New York City. And that comes with a prestige. Whether it's stupid or not, whether it's worth the cost of it or not, that comes with a prestige. I mean, there's a reason you want to live in Brooklyn, right? Sure. Because it's Brooklyn. Sure. I think it's the same for for businesses in New York. You want to be based in New York because it's New York. Because it's still it's still that starry eyed dream of a Midwesterner or of a you know South Jerseyan like me who, <laughs> who wants to grow up and be successful. And you can do that in New York City. You can't do it anywhere else because succeeding in New York is different than succeeding anywhere else. If I can make it there. You Cliche, might say. and it's true for a reason. Um, I would just be really interested in seeing the numbers. I would. T- I mean, you I know? think that's I mean, a super interesting avenue. You know, of thought, he, but I he think talks it's a about flawed. he talks about how you know you could have people telecommuting. You know, and and well, but that's there's all these different elements. Many, 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 many CEOs and. C-suite members do not agree with telecommuting. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. I mean, I'm not... We're not CEOs. You no, know, I know. I'm but just I'm saying, saying like, if you look you at... You could have people telecommuting. One well, of, yeah, you could also have people working one day a week sure. and paying them full salary, but you're not going to do that, so... But if you look at... If you look at publishing, one of the things that people often talk about with publishing is they talk about the money. And yeah. they talk about... You know, is there money for this promotion or for to buy this book? Is there money to do this thing or that thing or or whatever? We've talked about money several times mm-hmm. on this show. And it's just it seems like nobody is looking at or at least nobody has ever talked to me about, hey, what can publishers do to to lessen their expenses so that it's not like that's one place where you can change the equation. Here's a totally different answer for why sure. I don't like the idea of publishers leaving New York. Okay. And that's because New York is already trending towards becoming just a playground for the for the 1%, right? Yeah. Um finances here are crazy. If you drive out artists, publishers, nonprofits, anyone who's not a bank essentially, <laughs> whom it makes sense to leave New York City, like what what are you doing to the actual makeup of the people who live in that city? Live and work. Because then you've got... Uh, I mean, there needs to be room for artists and writers and all sorts of people in a city, particularly in New York. So, um, again, I, I get it on a one-off basis. Like, I fully understand and have no problems with why a company would move from New York City and change their headquarters to any other location. I get it. But um, but I just I think it's a little... Uh, pie in the sky and unrealistic to say all the publishers should just move to Jersey. Oh no, nobody's saying all the publishers. I'm just wondering why, why they're all still, why they're all still here. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me some bean counter somewhere at a publisher could make a really persuasive case by looking at the numbers. Hey, if we keep a few offices here in the city for the prestige of saying we're headquartered in New York and our CEO would be located here and some other people, and we would have a conference room for stuff. But then we let these particular people telecommute and we move this stuff to New Jersey or, you know, upstate or whatever. Well, keep like, in mind you a lot save... of companies do do that. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. I mean, but not publishers. Whole... Well, we, yeah. But Scholastic, I know, has we some stuff. We have offices in Secaucus yeah. and in Danbury yeah. and, yeah. you know, obviously Florida and Missouri and sure. blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, also, I just want to give a shout out. There is a pretty decent publisher in Hoboken, Wiley. 
Wiley. Yeah. 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 And there's obviously Houghton Mifflin is in Boston. Right. Uh, Candlewick yeah. is in Boston. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just not like every publisher is in New York. And again, I'm not calling for publishers oh, to pack course. up and leave town. I'm just sort of, you know, I've, I'd been thinking about this for a while. Like, wow, it's really expensive to be here. Yeah. And then I read this piece where he was talking about it. And he's like, I could do my job, you know, from the woods of Colorado with an iPad. Um you know, why not? Mm-hmm. You'd save a lot of money and then you wouldn't have to worry about every single book earning X amount or whatever. I also it's think just- there's something to be said about, you know, um, when authors come to visit, they get to see a whole bunch of people that work on their book right. that they normally wouldn't see. I'm and curious. I think it's, uh, and it gives opportunities to the rest of us, um, not just for, you know, yeah, we get to meet authors. That's cool. But me being social and media and communication, right. like, I wouldn't be able to, if I lived, if I worked in New Jersey and the author was visiting New York, I wouldn't, a lot of these things happen last minute is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, so it's not having everyone in the same location really does open up some, some new avenues for promotions and, and cross collaboration and things like that. I'm wondering now that you've brought that up, I'm curious how many authors who don't live in New York come to New York on any sort of regular basis. Mm -hmm. I know that before I lived here, I came maybe once or twice a year Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just Just wondering just to make the rounds. Yeah. I mean, usually there was some excuse, you know, usually it was, Oh, there's going to be a reading and I'll attend the reading and Mm -hmm. this way and I'll stay in town an extra day. And I know I have some friends who are authors who don't live here who do the same thing where, Oh, you know, I'll do a signing and I'll stay in town an extra day and go see my publisher and that sort of thing. But you would do that. Authors would do that no matter where the publishers were located. Yeah. 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 But I'm all, but also like, I know that there are authors who never do that, Mm -hmm. which seems strange to me. Like there are authors who I, one of my editors was telling me once that she had an author. They'd done like five books together and they'd never met. Wow. They'd never met face to face because just never traveled. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I want to talk quickly about opening lines because we talked about, you know, how important a good opening is to a book a little while ago. And Eugene commented on the website uh, saying that he thinks they're even more important in short fiction because Mm -hmm. he pointed out when he's got a book in his hands, he's decided pretty much he's going to read that book. And the first line isn't going to make him just throw the book away. Um, he's he's going to give it a little while. He's going to give it, we've talked before, but maybe 50, maybe 100 pages. Well, if he already owns the book. Sure. sure. Right? Or, or if, if it looks interesting to him at the bookstore okay. or the library, that sort of thing. He's not going to you know get home with it and open it up and see the first line and go, oh, are you kidding me? Um, so it made me start to think about opening lines. And I want to put a call out to our listeners, you know, comment on the site or, or send us email or tweet at us or whatever. Give us some of your favorite opening lines to books. Even, even if, even if the book itself wasn't all that good, yeah. just a good opening line and especially opening lines that aren't these slam bang designed to hook an agent sort yeah. of opening lines, you know, give, give, give us opening lines like that. We'll come up with some of ours too. And we'll, in a future show after sure. we've collected some, we'll, we'll read them out and, and give people some, some thoughts there. Um, so, so again, email us, tweet us, whatever. And then we'll make it a pop quiz and see if we can <laughs> test each other. And then we'll see if people can now. figure out what books <laughs> is from. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll make up our own and see if people can tell the difference. No, <laughs> which one, which one is the opening line to a book and which one is a line? Like a spo- lyric. Uh, I was going to say a line spoken by Ben Carson. No. Uh, <laughs> you got to be topical. <laughs> anyway, 
All right. So we'll do that. That'll be fun. We'll try to remind people about that as, as time goes by. Uh, so now let's talk about uh, what are you reading or, and or recommended reading. What are you reading, Morgan, and or what do you recommend? Uh, two things. Number one, I, I just finished reading and I highly recommend the conclusion to Jack Lamoriarty's trilogy. Uh, the Colors of Madeline is the trilogy and this book was a tangle of gold. And this is the third show in a row you've mentioned it. Wait, is it really? Yep. Well, good. Everyone should because, be reading it. No, because yeah. you were in the process yeah. of reading it. Anyway, yeah. I absolutely loved it. Great. Um, currently, I'm reading one of your old manuscripts. Oh, uh, yes. Basically, you're decide- trying to decide whether it's worth working on. It's, it's right. something that you wrote years and years ago. It was before, yeah, before Fanboy. Yeah, but. so, wow, like 15 years ago, right? Um... Close to Probably, it. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I just started reading that the other day to help you out with it. And, and I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it because your time is limited, your reading time is limited, and to read some crappy old thing that I wrote just to help me get my brain straight, I really do appreciate that. That's what we do. That's what we do. How about you? You have so, a confession. I have a confession. I still have not finished that damn Prayer for the City by Buzz Bissinger. And and it's not because it's not a good book. It's a very good book. It's for two reasons. One, it's nonfiction. And nonfiction tends to take me longer yeah. than fiction. Uh, I'm not sure why. The other reason is just that my reading time has been really constrained lately. Yeah. You know, we, we've both been really busy. Things have been a little crazy. We've traveled a lot. You said last week that October was a crazy month. Uh-huh. Here we are. It's the last day of October, and it's been a crazy Good day. Riddance. No, so, I, I loved the month, but it was, I, it was a great busy. month. It was just so busy. Yeah. So I'm probably a third or a quarter away from finishing it. I hope to finish it before the next podcast. <laughs> it really is a good book, and, uh, and, and I feel bad that it's taken me so long but there you have it yeah so there you go the other thing i'm reading is the user guide to the new apple tv (laughs) which is literally like one page long and i did finish that and i feel good about it literally yesterday listeners barry said i'm going to run to the apple store to pick up a cable and he came back with the new Apple TV. <laughs> which, which you know, is more amusing because I had actually ordered it already yeah. and, it was, and FedEx was going to ship it to me. And I got to the store and I was like, oh, wait, here it is right here. Instead of waiting until next week to get it, I can just buy it right now. <laughs> so I, I canceled the online order and bought it. And, and yes, now and we have we the are. new Apple TV and, and now Siri finds things for us to watch. <laughs> anyway, there you go. That's it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Follow us online at uh, on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. Come to writinginreallife.com. Leave us feedback. Leave us comments. Tell us great first lines to books. That's what we want to hear. Great first lines to books. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. We've got some really nice ratings there. We want to keep them going. We have a f- perfect five right now. Do we really? Seriously, like 11 people what is have... wrong with our listeners? 11 people have rated us, and they have all given us five. Thanks, so guys. thank you so much. We'd like to keep that going. If you haven't done it yet, go ahead and, and, uh, and rate us on iTunes. Thank you so much, and we will see you again next week. Have a good week, everyone.